Today, I'm talking with Robert Foster, owner of Cedar Hill Farm. Now, let's just talk about Cedar Hill Farm here for a quick second. It is a family-owned and operated farm with 120 acres of rolling hills, surrounded by cedar tree-lined fences and woods. You can bring your family down to escape the hustle of the city and enjoy the peace and quiet of country life. Whether it's taking a tractor-drawn hayride around the farm, out to the Easter egg hunt field in the spring, picking berries in the summer, the pumpkin patch and corn maze in the fall, or to the choose and cut Christmas tree fields in the winter, every season brings something new to the farm. They are open to the public seasonally and by reservation for company picnics, family reunions, weddings, and other private events year round. And you can find Cedar Hill Farm located at 8 Love Road, Hernando, Mississippi. Robert, thanks for uh, having me over here today. I appreciate happy, it. Happy to do it. Glad awesome. to have you. So, uh, man, I'm looking forward to this. I've heard a lot about uh, you and the farm because as I've been uh, interviewing other businesses, it, it seems like, um, you know, as they should, and, and what makes Fernando special is they source locally. So um, the first uh, the group of people that sent me your way were uh, Steve and Karen Cubbage from Area 51 Ice Cream because they sourced the berries for their... There, I think it's the goat cheese and berry uh, ice cream, which I can't wait to try. Yeah, the blackberry goat cheese. Blackberry ice cream. goat cheese, mm -hmm. you know. So, so that's um, that's when uh, you kind of was on my radar to finally be able to reach out with you. We met a couple weeks ago, and uh, I'm very excited to be here with you today. So I appreciate your time. Well, we're excited about doing it. Thanks for having us on. So uh, I want to talk history. Mm -hmm. I want to talk story behind you and the farm. But let's paint the picture here. We're, we are what I would gather is the main lobby, yeah, correct? The gift store restaurant, uh, you know, check-in area, the mm -hmm. uh, kind of the main hub. Of so you the walk farm. in, yeah, you walk in, you get the counter with, you know, all kinds of food, a classic Coca-Cola soda cooler, which is great. It's got the bottle opener on the front. Yeah, that's outstanding. And then if you when you walk into your right, you're going to see maple syrups and uh, ceramics and cups and looks like all kinds of cool stuff so yeah we try to you know carry a lot of products in our gift store that are you know mississippi um okay. like potteries and and uh different uh products like the pecans and you know things that come from our state and we do some canning and jelly making ourselves that we grow you know berries on our farm here and we carry some area 51 ice cream of course best ice go. cream um over in our uh, ice cream cooler, and people can get some of that to go if they're out here at the farm. And Do you have any lemon icebox in there? I don't have any lemon icebox right now, but we've got like some <laughs> mocha fudge brownie, I think, and some Dutch chocolate and some mint chocolate chip and salted caramel and you yeah. know, some of the good favorites. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. it's all great. Lemon icebox is my, my, my go-to, yeah, yeah for right. sure. Um, but, uh, well, cool. And then to your left, it looks like you have a dining room. Yeah, it's the uh, dining room. Um, and, you know, people, a lot of people know this area is kind of the concession stand during our fall and busier seasons, you mm -hmm. know. Um, but it's also a restaurant outside of our October season. So it's open, you know, year-round on the weekends for restaurants. So. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, it's really cool in here. It just has a, has a nice vintage feel to it. It's awesome. So, uh, well, great. Let's, um, let's, let's talk about the history and the story behind Cedar Hill Farm. Um, having to having getting to know you so far, you know, and knowing a little bit about the story, it's family owned, as I mentioned in the intro, um, and it started way back when your grandfather bought some land, correct? Mm -hmm. So let's start there. Okay. Like what 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 
compelled him to buy the land that we're sitting on right now? Well, um, he uh, was looking for, you know, uh, some investment land and some agricultural land back in the 70s to run cattle on. And my uncle ran cows uh, here on this farm uh, back in the 70s and 80s. And they bought the farm from the Glenn family. And uh, the Glenn family, who we have met some of the descendants of that, uh, of Mr. Glenn over the years, um, you know, uh, homesteaded this place. And they built the house. Um, they built one of the original barns that was still on the property that we use as our animal barn. Everybody knows this is the chicken show barn, mm -hmm. the animal barn. Um, they built that, you know, around 100 years ago. Uh, they actually lived in that barn while they were building the house with the animals, uh, which was, you know, typical back in that day. The, the barn was one of the first structures usually built. Um, the, the story goes that they, you know, dug uh, clay out of some of the ditches in the area. Of course, there is a lot of clay and gravel in the area, and they made the bricks that the house is built out of. And the uh, what people know of the little brick, bathrooms on the farm where the uh, was an original pump well house where they drew their water and uh, they built that and so that that building is original uh, very old yeah what, what year was that built uh, all that stuff was built in the 30s to 40s wow, um, so you know we're, we're coming up I, the barn itself definitely was probably 20s you know 20s to, to really early 30 we don't know the exact date but it's it's around 100 years old now they built it yeah. to last didn't they, they did build it to last <laughs> we have put a new roof on it we've um you know made some repairs on some of the wood over the years to to, to maintain the structure mm -hmm. um but we've kept their original you know structure intact and, and preserved it as best as we could that's great that they actually yeah. made the bricks too they did yeah i mean talk about from scratch yeah i mean <laughs> back in the day you had if you wanted something you had to make it yourself or yeah it's really hard to source things you know not the same way we do things now and it's telling of the times too, it is yeah. that they had to be resourceful in that way yeah. you know we try to live by the land sometimes but Right. Can't compare it to not, not like what they used to. No. Yeah. Like you go back a century, things are different. <laughs> right. Yep. So, so what was next uh, as they were just continued to build the yeah, farm? Yeah. So, up? well, so uh, my uncle um, and like my grandfather, they had a cattle operation and a farming operation. There's uh, actually another big section of the farm, uh, a, a section of farm, 500 and something acres over on the ranch road area, right over, right down the road where they row cropped and also had some cows and uh, some chicken houses and some other things. And um, eventually, uh, you know, there were there were periods like like all throughout where, you know, agriculture goes up and down and it was kind of going through a rough period. The story goes and they got out of the agricultural business and my uncle went and uh, started another career. And my family moved into the area and bought this uh, uh, land from uh, my grandfather and my uncle and my aunt and bought, so my parents bought them, you know, out on this farm, mm -hmm. this one part of the, you know, 120 acre section of agricultural land. And we moved here in the, let's see, late eighties. Okay. Uh, I was about five years old when we moved down here. And um, I remember the old house, you know, it's 1930s uh, house, uh, going through a lot of renovation. Um, you know, restored a lot of it and kept, you know, as much of the original as they could, but it went through a lot of renovation. And um, so it's a, it's got a lot of history there. And 
And then we, I remember going on, well, before before this, this big trip that we went on to St. Louis that kind of kicked off the business side, um, my, my mom and dad, uh, really my mom more than anything, just she liked having animals. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we started gathering animals at the farm, you know, typical farm animals. Yeah, you had the space for them. <laughs> we had the space. And I grew up, you know, with my brothers, uh, you know, we had some ponies and we'd ride them around. We had a couple of core horses too, but when we were little, we'd ride the ponies around all over the farm. And yeah, that's cool. we had, so we had ponies, we had tractors. We cut hay, we sold hay for years. And I remember even as a little kid, you know, being pretty young, you know, driving the tractor down the road real slow, or the truck while they were loading the hay on the tractor before I was even big enough to, to load the hay on the trailer. And, uh, you know, so we, we sold hay for a long time, um, started planting some blackberries, doing some you pick blackberries when I was younger. And then we went on a trip to uh, St. Louis, uh, summer vacation. And we we're gonna go to a Cardinals game. And the funny story behind that is, you know, first MLB baseball game, and they went on strike that year. You know, it was one of those strikes year, strike so years back in the 90s, 90s early yeah. 90s. Yeah. And it was the day of the strike, you know, when we were supposed to go watch them play baseball. I do remember that vividly, yeah. and I was pretty upset about that. And many but, others were too. Because, yeah. yeah. you know, I'd gone to St. Louis to watch my first professional baseball yeah. game, and they went on strike. It took, it took a while for yeah. MLB to recover from that, yeah. too. Yeah, so, sure. it, so that was. That was that vacation. I, I, if I recall properly, is you know so many things that that and and we ended up stopping by a farm called Eckert's Farmers Market, and um, back in you know the early '90s, agritourism. Now the genesis of agritourism has been around for hundreds of years. People have always sold off the side of the road, you know, produce, extra eggs that they have, and. Um, that's that's not new. People have done that since the beginning of roads and farms. And what's the term for that again? Agritourism. Agricult- okay. Agricultural, it's short for agricultural tourism. Right. So, you know, back in the day, it was just a roadside farmer's market, a roadside stand. You know, everybody remembers, you know, probably growing up, driving by those on the highways their whole life. That's not a new thing. Mm-hmm. But what the Eckerts and other people around the country had started kind of evolving into was adding other activities <clears throat> to try and, and draw people out from the city to there. Mm. Uh, so maybe instead of just relying just on the drive-by traffic, let, let's get people to come out to us. And mm. so people started kind of uh, uh, focusing more on you pick. Um, you pick orchards, you pick berries. Um, we had some you pick blackberries. We had um, some animals and some things that people come out like a petting zoo. That stuff started kind of popping yeah. up. and yeah, Just um, giving people reason to drive up the a reason to, a reason to come out you know yeah. a reason to come out to the farm and we saw what they were doing there outside of St. Louis and my parents uh, felt like wow this is something neat that we could maybe develop more of on our farm yeah. outside of Memphis you know that's really our market we're the you know we don't the Soto Countyans don't really like to think of themselves as part of Memphis necessarily, mm-hmm. but we are. We're a suburb of Memphis now. It's all grown into one big metropolitan area. It's it's uh, yeah. so we're a suburb of Memphis, and we uh, draw from the Memphis market to sure. our business, and we um, started. My mom really started running kind of a weekend business with some other lady friends of hers that involved doing some birthday parties for children where they would come out 
you know, for your typical farm petting zoo and pony ride and hay ride birthday party, and then they'd have cake and ice cream play on the playground. You know, a very mm. um, uh, packaged deal that a lot of people around the country have duplicated in agritourism and then kind of got their foot in the door. And this was all when I was young. This was when I was in like, you know, middle school. This is nine, 1996. Well, man, you're getting such so, a young education too. If you think yeah. about it. And we're going to yeah. lead into how when you take so, over, but I mean, starting from scratch, you are in the middle of it. You're right there. Yeah, watching so I'm, it. I'm in the middle really of it cool. in, in middle school and, and helping, um, you know, help take care of the animals, uh, helping with the farming and, you know, learning to cut grass and do farm work at an early age and having chores. And um, you go through that period when you want to do it when you're little, you want to go drive the tractor for the first time and you want to cut, you want to, you want to ride the riding lawnmower and, and use the weed eater. And I want, I can't wait till I'm big enough to use a chainsaw. And then you get to that point where it's work and you just want to go be with your friends <laughs> and you don't want to be anywhere near the farm. Yeah. And so I remember all those different, you know, periods when I was growing up out here on this farm where um, it was exciting and fun and then it was work and I didn't want to be here and I wanted to be anywhere but here, you know, because yeah, yeah. if I had to be here, it was going to be work. And yeah. <laughs> uh, so, the so they so they started she started doing uh, some field trips too during the week and um oh so schools would come in yeah so they started at started branching out to allowing a few schools to come in on the week because on up up until that point from 96 until probably you know early 2000s it was really just kind of more weekend stuff and having uh you know maybe some churches come on the weekends and and then branched into a, the first pumpkin patch. And I remember, you know, us planting our first pumpkin patch and having people come on the weekends, a few weekends of the year. And then a few schools started wanting to book. And of course I was in school myself during this period. So I wasn't around during the first field trip years, but it was my mom and some of her lady friends was, I think all women that, that worked mm -hmm. here. And they would do tours with the kids and do the petting zoo and the pony rides and the hay ride and they'd go get a pumpkin. And when I went through high school, we added a haunted hayride. And I recruited the first round of haunters from my friends. And my dad, you know. Recruiting the ghouls. <laughs> I recruited all the ghouls and the goblins. And that was my first, you know, really, I guess, you know, uh, part of pitching into the business was I went and recruited the first you round. You brought in the evil side, I brought, right? I brought, in, the, I brought in the scary <laughs> side. Um, but it, it, it's never really been, you know, at our farm about the gore and the scare as much as the entertainment side. Mm -hmm. You know, we've always kept it, you know, because we're, we're a Christian family and we all, you know, uh, kept, we, we've always wanted to keep it more about just the family fun mm -hmm. and jumping out and scaring people and having the, you know, the scares and the thrills, but not about into the, the dark gore stuff like some haunts do. You know, we've stayed away from that side of it. Yeah. Because um, yeah. there's a fine line there. You can get off into some 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 weird stuff with some of that. So we've always stayed to the side of just having fun yeah. and scaring people for fun. But we, I recruited those actors, and I remember the days of going out in the haunted hayride. There'd be 20 or 30 minutes between tractors. I mean, just you know, you might do four or five or six tractors all night long mm -hmm. of, you know, trailers of people like, you know, because it was just starting out. It was just a new thing. And haunted hayrides were a new thing. You know, we were we were kind of in on the forefront of all that type of stuff. You know, there, there it was a new thing that 
we you know we got into early. How do you search for scarers? How, or were you just talking to your buddies at school? And then, uh, it was literally just friends, yeah. friends of mine at school. And they're just getting together and be like, oh, it'd be cool if we did this. It'd be cool and if we did yeah, that. Yeah, we, we had to, yeah. I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't, you remember, there wasn't the internet like we have now. It was sure. AOL dial-up. I mean, you couldn't get on and, like, research uh, uh, haunted hayride scenes. And, 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 and in fact, Compared to now, that was not internet. Right. And, all, <laughs> and, and in fact, all that was really a new thing. And yeah. although there may have been people that had started doing it years prior, how would you know? Because there wasn't a quick internet to even find out. But we mm -hmm. had heard of other people doing this, and my parents were like, this would be fun. And, and it was really just, you know, something that just kind of sprung up where we started doing it for our local church youth group and we did it for fun for them. And then we we're like, we could do this every weekend in October and charge people and make it a business. Mm -hmm. And so that's really kind of how that came about. And so we grew that over the years and I went off to school, went off to Ole Miss in 2001. I graduated high school. And when I went off to college, I didn't see myself coming back to this business at that point. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't I didn't see myself coming back to this business. What did you see yourself doing? I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure. Was it burnout? Was it just like, oh, you it know, was, I, was, I did that all my life yeah, here. I high school, not wanting to work, just like most high school kids, yeah. just teenager. To get away from the farm, it's too much work. Being a, you know, just and I and I was gone off to school and rarely came home like most college kids, you know, just came home on the holidays and mm -hmm. during summer. And Well, what did you go to school for? Uh, I did go for business. And so I was taking these business courses and it was really after my sophomore year, it was sometime around my junior, my junior year, um, I had been exploring all the different options of career paths because at that point I was really about to have to I was I, I was done taking basic courses yeah. and I was about to have to decide you know which which way am I going here yeah. um, and and I started uh, thinking about this place again I really kind of started missing home a little bit you know and missing the farm at that point so by I now think, you're in your early 20s I'm yeah sure, well right? I, yeah I was probably 20 yeah. and I've been away for two two and a half three years and I started kind of wanting to be back more and, and remembering all the good memories mm. of the place. And we, uh, I remember having, you know, thoughts about, and at that point you could kind of get more on the internet and kind of look up things and kind of research a little bit. And I started kind of looking at other places and that did what my parents were doing here as a small kind of more of a weekend, but the school group side had grown a good bit. It was getting busy and there was a, a huge potential there. Um, they were they were doing, uh, uh, you know, a, occasional like family picnic or something too on the weekends at that point. And I started uh, kind of researching other farms and agritourism wasn't a word, you just, I don't, or even remember how I researched it, but I, I found these other farms and there was an organization called NAFTMA, North American Direct Farmers Market Asso or something association. I forget that you know, exact acronym, but it's other farms that do kind of what we do back in the day. And my parents had joined that group and gone on a couple of uh, tours 
with them, like bus tours where they visit other farms and see what they're doing in research. different parts of the country. It's yeah. kind of like research, mm-hmm. you know, market. And so um, they said, well, maybe maybe you should go with some mm-hmm. of these other um, farmers and go visit their farms. They, and put, so, they put you out there. And so, because I'd been showing interest in, in you know, this. And, and so I went on a tour with some other what, what we did is we basically just drove to other farms that they had made contacts with over the years, and we went and visited their farms and saw what they were doing in other parts of the country. And it, we went all over the, the Midwest. It was like mm-hmm. we made stops in Missouri and we in Illinois, and we ended up in, in Iowa and hit all these different farms along the way in Tennessee and they knew other farms around then, and so we just kept, like, for a week in the summer, we just, all we did is drive all day from farm to farm to farm to farm to farm for, like, a week. Wow. And made a whole trip out just of it. Just taking notes. Just taking notes and talking, to, and talking to people. And they were all in the same place we were where they're either going to make some investment commitment and try to make a go at this new agritourism thing for real, or just kind of get out of it. My parents were at that point where they were about to just get out of it because it was, it was a lot of work. weren't making a, very much money, but saw potential there to make money. You know, to make it a business. With every new event you kind of add, it's yeah. just more work. Right, yeah. more work, but not really like a full business yet. Mm-hmm. But it could be. Mm-hmm. And so, along that tour, I saw all these different farms, and what I what I did learn is location matters. And it not only matters for what type of things you might do. You know, for instance, we can't really do a you pick apple orchard here because we don't have the right climate for growing apples. And that's a big thing up north. You pick apples in September and early October before pumpkins come in is a big mm. thing. But what do you have down here that they wouldn't? Um, is there anything specific to more this bugs area? and humidity? I don't know. And clay. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's, I, I don't, I don't really know. We have better weather in fall. Okay. We have a much. They can get snow in late October. Yeah. We still have great weather in the yeah, fall. That's sure. a huge advantage for us. Um, and especially with choosing cut Christmas trees, we're still having great weather in November and our, all the way into December. It can get a little cold and rainy here on occasion, but we're not under feet of snow potentially right. like You're they not, can be. You don't need snowshoes to. You don't get need snowshoes to go cut your tree down. Yeah makes a big difference on what we're able to do here. So there's, there's, there's gives and takes. Um, they start their season earlier, we're able to go later. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. Um, that's why they start with apples up north because they can't necessarily count on the end of October or November being even available to do anything yeah, outdoors. It's a variable. It could be 30 degrees or 20 degrees and two yeah. feet of snow by that time and they're yeah. done. Um, so we, we uh, well, I, I, I kind of came up with a plan at that point, and I thought, well, I think if I add other aspects to this business, I could make it a year-round operation and generate enough revenue to pay myself a salary and make this work. Mm-hmm. And I pitched the idea about adding blueberries, about redoing the blackberries, because I think we had gotten rid of them at that point. My parents had gotten rid of the black, you pick blackberries, but adding those back in, adding blueberries, um, growing produce in the summer, um, growing Christmas trees, which I knew was going to be like a five-year plan, but 
got to get them planted so I can have that revenue five years later and market to the schools on a little bit bigger scale, try to draw more schools from a little bit further distance and market to private events, corporate picnics, family reunions, things like that. So what year now are we talking? We're talking 2005 when I come in and take over the business. Oh, so you pitch this stuff, but it's also a pitch to, hey, let me take the reins on this. Because they were, they were, they were at the point where it was more than they want, wanted to deal with. They already have job. My dad already has a full-time job. My mom's getting to the point where she'd been doing it for a long time. It was wearing so, her out. So the she farm, needed help. The farm was not your family's main source of income. No, no. It was a secondary business um, that created a lot of work. Yeah. Made a little bit of money, but not a lot of money. And for the amount of money it was making, it was not worth the headache, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, you know? sure. But it had potential because we had seen this. When you start looking at all these other farms around the country, most of the ones that were doing agritourism were row crop, big row crop farms that just did a pumpkin patch and or a corn maze in the fall as a secondary little stream of, of revenue. Mm -hmm. It was a side business. Mm -hmm. It wasn't their main focus. For us, we were gonna be unique in the space in that we were gonna be one of the first farms, and there are others now, there's a lot, that we went in to be an agritourism destination. The crops that we grow were only grown for the purpose of drawing people to our farm. Everything we grow is grown for you pick or on-farm sale, gotcha. not wholesale production. Right. And so everything that I thought about and have thought about over the years is how do I get more people to come here instead of, mm -hmm. you know, something I can grow. You know, I could grow Christmas trees wholesale and ship them out. I could grow one particular crop or two or raise cattle and sell them, but I do everything. You, to get you created here. it to make it engaging. To make it an engaging experience. Yeah. And that's what we focused all of that on over the last, well, now we're in our 26th year. Um, last year's our 25th year. So 2005, you obviously you're taking over in a way, but not to get deep into the business side of things. But did you have to, you know, buy your parents out, or did they just kind of like hand it over? How, no, how we're that we're we're still we're still in that type of a transition, and that's 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 taking a long time okay. um, for me to get ownership. And okay. I have there's still three owners. Both of my parents are owners. They're still the majority share. I still, but I'm getting more as time goes on. And because it's it's a big operation, it's yeah. a lot involved. Plus now they're getting dividends, right? Well, you know, <laughs> that's that's the that's the long term plan for everybody in a business. Obviously, yeah, is to, yeah. to 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 get some kind of benefit from the investments you've made over the sure, years yeah. in both financial equity and sweat equity. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we, we as a family have are, are working on and continuing to work on all the details of how to, to transition the financial side over all the way over the generational shift. Mm -hmm. But as far as the business side, you know, my mom has still worked here and worked in the office and, and been a part of this farm very much since I've been here. But as far as running and managing and making the decisions about what direction we head, that that transition happened very quickly because yeah. they were at a point 
when I took over in 2005, like I said, where it was, they were about to close the business. Uh. And so it, it was, at, it was kind of a, it was kind of in a way, like if I hadn't come in, there would be no, you know, Cedar Hill farm. There was a crossroads. There was a crossroads. And but you came in with all that marketing I came process. in with the At ideas, least the ideas and yeah. the energy to do it. Right. The energy. Your parents are like, man, we're the, over this. We're, we've yeah. put all this time and energy. We're getting at a, a point in our lives that I understand now that, when I was 20, I don't have the energy now that I'll be I'll be 40 next year that I had when I was 20. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a big difference in 20 and 40 in energy, Absolutely. And, and 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 drive. And I motivation. don't know. I've never experienced. It. I still feel 20. You still feel 20? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, it's just amazing. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I so I know I already understand yeah. at that point where it's not that you don't want to continue to grow and to do things, but the amount of physical energy you can put into something is limited it does limit you a little as you get older plus you know? work life balance and you have you know, i have obligations have a, i have, have children yeah. i have have ball games to attend mm-hmm. i have other things and obligations that i didn't have when i was 20 that mm-hmm. i now have and so that that does affect the cycles of a business it can also be a driving force too because as you grow you can hire people to handle things so now you're working more on instead of in so you can balance the work life, but and also you got to build to that point. It's and a lot you have of work. to build to that point. And yeah. It's a lot of work, and it's taken it's taken us now. You know, when I first came in, it was just me mm-hmm. doing farm work, and then I, I bring in a couple of extra helpers over the years, and now we've grown to the point we've added that we've got ten full time employees. We've got twenty something part time employees. And then in the fall, we're at 150 employees seasonally. Wow, and yeah. Easter and Christmas can have 50, 60 seasonal employees. And so it has really grown and it mm-hmm. continues to grow. And we, um, with that growth, though, comes a lot of growing pains. Um, as we grow, we're having to manage those growing pains. Uh, on paper, it makes sense hire some people to handle this over here but then that opens up a whole other ball about you know well you know a can of worms where things you didn't expect like managing people <laughs> yeah and you know and payroll and all these other little everything you know, business insurances stuff. yeah taxes uh, and as you add and grow our biggest expense in this industry is labor mm-hmm. we're an entertainment business we're a service industry business everything is very hands-on very labor intensive takes a lot of people to do what we do here and that's why there's so many employees because if you don't have everything staffed appropriately you don't have parking attendants and bathroom attendants and groundskeepers and staff at all the different attractions based on how busy you're going to be which is always a gamble based on weather yeah you know you can have a day when it's supposed to be your busiest day of the season be a zero yeah. if, it, if it's storming and thunderstorming all day so, i bet when you when you started talking yeah. about attendance like the like the you said traffic attendance what was some of the other attendance you mentioned bathroom attendance bathrooms grounds so, so i would gather those were probably you know speed bumps and learning curves where you're like Oh wow! Like it's chaos with people pulling in here and parking. 
You right. learn hard way. So you're like, next year, we need someone to handle this. On this day. You know, and like you day. start learning as you yeah, go. And on this day, you only maybe need one person, but on this day, you need two or three because it's so much busier, yeah. but then it could rain and it's not. And but you don't need it until you realize, oh man, I'm in deep. You don't need it. To, you don't know you need it till you need it. Right. But I guess the one thing now after, after running the business now for, um, I guess I've been running the business since 2005, so that's what, 16 years. Yeah. Is I can actually I can actually foresee problems before I have them a lot of times yeah. where I couldn't do that before. When I plan now, it's long term planning, and we we actually have hit a point now where we and it, and it's a good problem, but it's also very complicated financially for our business where we're growing so fast. I have to purposely slow the growth down. Mm -hmm. And all the people think that's crazy, maybe when they think about a business. They, well, just why would you not grow it as fast as you can grow it? Because in the business we're in, it can create a tremendous amount of problems if you run out of parking, if you run out, don't have enough bathroom facilities, you don't have enough concessions, the lines get too long, people get angry about waiting in line. Mm -hmm. So all of these things have to be grown together mm. even you add more parking now you got to have more bathrooms more concessions more tractors to put people through the attraction quicker so the lines don't get any longer everything has to grow together yeah you and you would it, think oh let's just let's just grow more pumpkins so we can make more money yeah oops you need all those other things you just mentioned you in order to, to sell them <laughs> yeah somewhere to park people you guess bathrooms right. for them to use concession stands yeah. uh tables and chairs Covered seating in case it's a little bit rainy. Everything, uh, everything has to be proportionate. Yeah. Everything. So let's let's talk about seasons, because this I found this really interesting. Because I'm such a I'm not a farmer. I don't know how this stuff works, and it's probably farming 101. Now we have your events in the seasons, but I'm interested in also talking about just the different things that you do per season, like you mentioned. You know, summertime, you're really busy, but not because of the tourism, but because of the farm preparation, the far, actual farming. And then you have the tourism, and then you, you do what you need to do in the wintertime. Run, like, a full annual cycle. What, okay. what does that look like? And, and that is one thing that people that have worked here, we've, we've got a lot of loyalty in our employees. They, we have a lot of people who have been working here for over 10 years, and Quite a few have been working here for 15 or more years since I since I've brought them in. They've been here since the beginning, of of, and some of them, there's a few that have that have still worked here even before I took over. Um, the one thing that makes it interesting and unique is that by the time you get tired of one season, it changes to the next season and mm. the pace changes, yeah. and so you don't get into this this daily grind like in a lot of businesses and jobs where you just get into this daily you're not, weekly. You're not grind, sitting in the same cubicle doing the same work yeah. year round. It changes with the seasons, and so what our winters are like. Winters are like our time to recharge our batteries to fix the farm, fix okay. broken things. We do all our maintenance on our all of our equipment. We plan you know, repair work that needs to be done um, that can't be done when we're having customers around. I would gather if you want to add concession. This that is would be, consent, like a major construction project would generally be scheduled for the summer when it's dry. Okay. 
we've tried winter construction and unless it's an indoor project it generally doesn't make sense to try to fight with the weather and the mud sure. and the rain and so and and, and we're we're kind of recharging our batteries that time of year, so yeah. we don't really want to get into that kind of work in the but winter. But you're maintaining and, and fixing. But we're maintaining, and... fixing what we have during yeah. the winter. That's what we do during the winter. And of course, the restaurant now is open through the winter, but it, it is our slowest time of year because it's it's rainy and cold and it's nasty and it's just not the busiest time for us. But it's okay because we mm -hmm. all need time to just kind of just recharge because we know what's coming. And we hit spring and you feel things kick up a notch here at the farm. Um, it really kicks off usually with the Easter season and that can be late March, early April, you know, to mid April. It just depends on the year. But when spring hits, grass starts growing, weeds start growing. You got to start spraying and cutting and weed eating and tending grass grounds mm -hmm. that you don't have to do so much in the winter. So that work picks up tremendously. Um, the, the restaurant picks up the activities on the weekends with, family reunions and company picnics and things like that really pick up in the spring, you know, events pick up, rehearsal dinners because wedding season starts to kick off, that mm. gets busier. And then summer hits and we've kind of hit our peak of all those private events and the restaurant getting busy and everything and all that's kind of getting busy. And then the farm work just gets tremendous because now you're having to spray cut grass like every week and you're having to trim Christmas trees because they're growing and you're having to shape those in the middle of the summer. You're having to till fields and plant pumpkins by the 4th of July. You're having to uh, plant the corn maize by the 1st of June. You're having to, it's all rushed. It's all about the weather. You can't wait. If you have a dry period and it's time to plant, you got to get it in the ground because it might rain again and then you're five days out before the ground gets dry enough again and now you're 10 days behind schedule on the corn maize are the pumpkins. And so everything is very rushed, very fast paced. And time sensitive. Very time sensitive. I would gather those are some of those, you know, learning curves you had to figure very, out too. Very much so. Uh, Learned hard way on some things over the years. Had crop failures on some things because of planting too early or planting too late. Yeah. Um, those things are all things that you learn over the years. Um, um, and so we hit that se summer season and it's hot but there's so much work that has to be done on the farm to get things ready for fall and Christmas. You're trimming, like I said, you're trimming and staking Christmas tree, you're picking berries. Um, people are coming out to pick berries, which is not a busy time of year as far as customers, but there's just so much farm work. And the restaurant's busy and the events are busy and summer camps are busy. And then you kind of have this little bit of a dip in August when school starts back. You know, mm -hmm. everybody's all, focused on school, everything in the whole, you can feel everything shift from summer to school and everybody's getting their kids ready and their grandkids ready to go to school and football season's getting ready to start. But during that lull of us having kind of a, a dip in private events and, and rehearsal dinners, people really aren't getting married as much that time of year. Things just kind of slow down a little bit. We are ramping up and getting ready for fall. Yeah, You know, we're going in and starting our summer projects, if there's some kind of construction or some kind of a remodel or an addition that needs to be added, um, running electrical, fixing plumbing, adding a scene on the haunts, uh, you know, getting ready with the big stuff. And then uh, you're starting to cut, you're cutting past in the corn maze, you're fencing the corn maze, uh, you're getting 
you know, kind of your final plan together for any major changes for that year. It's got to mm. be done in August. You know, yeah. in September, you got to finish it up. Um, September, you're going out and you're doing, you're starting to decorate. You're starting to put, you know, airlines to scenes, set props up, you know, knock all the wasp nests out of all the buildings, you know, uh, just really kind of the finer, finer details of getting the farm ready. Another example of utilizing the downtime to clean and fix and maintain. And do farm. So no yeah. downtime for you guys. No downtime for us. You guys are balls to the wall the whole time. We're, yeah, except for maybe the winter. We're mm. taking it kind of easy. When is yeah. when is the sort of that cutoff where it's time to chill? Is it leading into Thanksgiving or? No, for us now, since we've added, we've got choose and cut Christmas trees. Uh, so we, we go in, we go into our October and it gets just busier and busier and busier until about the middle of October. It is insanely busy for us. And all the way through Halloween, there's makeup field trips into early November. We're breaking, hauling, hauling props down. We're setting Christmas lights up, taking fall decorations down, putting Christmas decorations out, and then boom, we're open for Christmas season. Wow. So that period from Really, from Labor Day weekend, after we, after we do Labor Day weekend until Christmas, it is just nonstop. Would that be the um, busiest? It'd be the busiest. I rarely have a day off yeah. during those months. If I do, it's a Sunday until fall starts, and then I don't even get a day off again until usually mm -hmm. I take a little break, three to like a long weekend between fall and Christmas just because I just have to have a day off because I hadn't had one in couple of months now mm -hmm. and I take a few days recharge the batteries and then I come back and I'm working you know I'm working till just like I do haunts I'm working till 10 11 12 o'clock even later at night five six days a week setting up haunts before haunt season opens and getting the farm ready during the day for pumpkin season and then the same thing for the Christmas lights you know yeah. we're, we're getting Christmas tree stuff set up during the day and then I go into night shift and I'm setting up Christmas lights until I just wear out and then I go to bed you know and then yeah. I wake up the next morning and start over again and your parents are like man I'm glad he's doing all <laughs> I'm that I'm glad he's doing all that now. <laughs> yeah so you know um, as we as we wrap this up I always like asking you know what the future looks like you know, that 10,000 foot view, uh, I certainly don't prod for stuff that you wouldn't want to announce yet. Right. But where, where do you see this farm, you know, Cedar Hill Farm in the next 10 years? You know, I, I think the, the sky's the limit on, on, this, on this place. It's, it's always a work in progress. We're always trying to make it a little bit better every year. Um, I, I would like and hope that we would continue to be on a, on, a, on a trajectory to slowly grow this place and try to manage that growth to where we're can, one of the nicest, cleanest, funnest tourist attractions in the area, mm -hmm. in the Mid-South area, and hope that one day there's another generation that can take the reins from me and give that youthful energy to it that it's going to need to take it further because at some point if we hit that crossroads again and there's not that next generation for this type of business or somebody to come in and buy it that has that youthful, mm. you know, uh, that energy, then it would probably fade over time. So mm. it's going to hit that point in the next, it'll be 20 years when I'm 
late 50s, early 60s, because I can always kind of slow the growth even more and maintain what I have. But for it to continue into the long term, it would take another generation. It yeah. would have to be passed down. Just like you. Just like me. You know? Get your kids involved, right? Yeah. How, how, let's talk about your kids real quick. How, yeah. how many do you have? What are their ages? Oh, I've got two. I've got a 13-year-old daughter and an 11-year-old son. Are they and involved? So, they... Well, I mean, as much do as... Do they a, show interest? As much as a 13 and 11-year-old would. <laughs> they're at that age where they just want to come out here with their friends and go through the activities and play, yeah, you yeah. know. Um, in a few more years, they'll start, you know working some part-time work and, and maybe see if they have any interest. And then they may get to a point where they're burnt out like I was when they leave high school. Uh, maybe, hopefully, my hope is that at least one, if not both, would want to come back one day and be a part of it. Maybe a 13-year-old can, you know, involve the business with TikTok. Maybe. Or, you yeah. know, like, yeah. that's yeah. where they would come in. That's like, right. Oh, Dad, that's like, right. this is how you do social media that's over right. here. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, awesome. Let's do uh, some call to action here you okay. know, as far as uh, where you would like people to go as far as websites, social media. Wh where would uh, the best place for people to go to? You know, we, we do have a weekly email. Uh, they can sign up on our website at GoCedarHillFarm.com. And we have a social media page. We've got Facebook. We've got Instagram. Um, if they sign up on our weekly email... That's the best way to get notices about discounted tickets. And we offer just to our loyal followers, every year we do sales and we do like 50% off discount codes. That's only available to them mm -hmm. to buy season tickets and to, to come to the different attractions. And so that is something that people have learned over the years to really take advantage of because, um, you know, things are getting expensive these days and mm -hmm. by no fault of our own, we're having to raise prices like everybody else in these times. So I think if people would, you know, sign up on that email list and take advantage of that, it's going to help, mm -hmm. you know, we want to help them because they're little customers and it helps us. Um, Pre-selling tickets help us helps us to get a little revenue in to help get things open because yeah. it takes a lot of work before we ever get that first dollar coming in. So the email list is so crucial, yeah. and I don't want to go into this marketing conversation here, but anyone listening, uh, please understand that as simple as just subscribing to an email list is massive for a business. Yeah, because it gives you that direct connection to an audience. You can post something on social media, cool. You can't control how many likes you get. Right, and they throttle it unless you boost it and all these exactly. things. Yeah. But I always equate yeah. an email list. Yeah. When you send out an email, you're knocking on someone's front door. Hey, we have this for you if you want it. It's an offer. You can take it or offer. leave it. And so, yeah. so, yeah, so yeah. whoever's watching and listening, you yeah. know, don't feel like it's, you know, no one's here to spam. Right. But, man, it's so helpful in, in supporting a small business. Email yeah. list is, it is massive. It's big. It's big for us. I know it's big for a lot of other businesses to be on that weekly all right, so we do a weekly because we have so much going on here, mm -hmm. and we're, there's always something. You know, there's specials at the restaurant. There's seasonal changes, different tickets for different seasons that go on sale at different times, and so there's enough information out there that we do a weekly email. Mm -hmm. um, some businesses it may only be every other week or once a month, but for us it needs to be weekly to keep people informed of what's changing and what's coming up and uh, what berries are in season. You know, we've got to soon make a decision about strawberries and when to let people maybe come pick strawberries or not, but 
we don't know the answer to that right now because of the weather. There's so many things that can affect, you know, the crop and, and things that mm -hmm. we have to keep up people up to date with. Yeah, announcements. Announcements. Uh, announcements. Yeah. So what was that website one last time? It's uh, go, G-O, cedarhillfarm.com.